You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, bam, we're live. How are you people? Welcome. 28th of September 2021. Um, this is episode 70 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. How are you doing? Uh, my name is Matt Phillips. I'm the creator of OnChat Live. Um, and in these weekly shows for the Sports Therapy Association podcast, we bring you experts from around the world of healthcare provision to discuss topics that will help you, the soft tissue therapist, develop your practice in the direction that evidence and research takes us. That was my new little prepared crib there. I thought, do an introduction each week. You need that because we are getting people, I'm really happy to say, who aren't familiar with what we do or who I am, which is great. That was my whole idea for kind of putting this together. I was sick and tired of just talking to people who know me already. And, and kind of go, yes, I'm on the same page as you. That's exactly what I think. And yes, that's not right. And that's a myth. What's the point in that? So I'm really happy. It really, it really warms my cockles um, to know that people are joining this who aren't aware of what I do or what we do in the Sports Therapy Association and aren't aware of the guests that I've been on as well. So um, great. Thank you for those people who did give me some feedback. You know who you are. It's, um, it's really good to hear that. But obviously, that's not to say that I don't appreciate the loyal party of um podcastians who come in to join us live like Catherine who's always first in the room Catherine how are you doing you are all welcome to join us live if you wish you can do that by coming into the Facebook uh, page uh, Sports Therapy Association um, or you can do it via YouTube the live stream there just go to the Sports Therapy Association on YouTube and if you do decide to join us live, um, then you can obviously network with each other. When you say things, I can bring it up on the screen along with your fantastic photo or um, social media icon, whatever you want to choose. And of course, you can ask the guests direct questions, put them on the hot seat. Um, and this is why I, I like doing live. Run Chat Live was live for that very reason. Um, there are some fantastic podcasts out there which are recorded and edited. Um, in fact, there's one coming up tonight. But personally... I like live because you guys can ask the guests, bam, and it won't be edited unless, well, there's a couple of times. I think Adam Meekins came on once and swore, but normally there won't be any editing at all. So there you go. Catherine, how are you doing? Other people are joining the show now. Fantastic. So before we continue with tonight's show, then um, a thanks to Gary Benson, founder of the STA, for joining me last week. Uh, we had an STA catch up, which went down really well. And again, thank you for the feedback. I do appreciate any emails which kind of give positive or negative feedback. Um, we had a chat about things, basically a little catch up we haven't done for a while. We were joined by STA regional reps Ryan Smith um, of the East Midlands and Becky Carroll, who's the regional rep for southwest of England. And together we mulled over the industry. We talked about things like shadowing um, the idea of kind of having somebody who might be a little bit less experienced or not just coming to your clinic. How much do you charge them? Do you charge them? Are some people just taking the mick by charging a fortune? Uh, we talked about recommended protocols for COVID-19. Has anything changed? And um, we talked about Therapy Expo, which is very exciting. That's coming up this November 24th and 25th, which we'll mention again later on um, and more. So it's all there. If you want to watch the video, just pop along to the YouTube channel. Um, if you want to listen to it on podcast, you can't yet because I haven't had time to upload it. But I will do. I promise you. It's just been a busy couple of days. Um, but yeah, all the other episodes are uploaded as well to a podcast. And if you are listening to the podcast, then thank you very much. If you'd be so kind to show your appreciation by giving us a rating and a few nice words or a view, particularly on Apple Podcasts, that'd be amazing as well. Bam. Done. Right. Very excited about tonight uh, because tonight we've had a few 
requests from members um, to do some case studies. Okay, it's really nice, isn't it, to listen to how other people deal with certain issues, um, especially where failure is involved. It makes us feel much more confident when we kind of feel we've failed. Um, so um, back pain, we're going to do a back pain case study special, which posed me with a problem of finding who am I going to find a couple of people who would be experts in talking about back pain and bam of course who else the hosts of the back pain podcast who better um so very excited to bring back Rob Bevan who uh Rob Bevan was here some of you will remember joining us back in June in episode 56 um and uh Rob came along and talked about um a lot of common myths to do with lower back pain but some of you might have noticed he looked a little uneasy a little bit lost like a dog without a bone, you might say. But that's great. Tonight, we've got his bone. He's here with us, uh, Dave Elliott, with two Ts, who's going to be here as well. So both of them are going to be coming up. Um, as always, if you've got any questions, then feel free to put them in the comments. Um, if um, I'm rattling on, I've told Dave and Rob, if they see something of interest in, in the chat, then just stop me in my tracks and just comment and we can bring that up as well. Um, and that's it. You know how it goes. Um, and if you're on YouTube, make sure you say hi as well. You can say hi. I'm watching on YouTube. It's always nice to know who's watching on YouTube. Um, and that's it. So without further ado, I should bring up in no particular order, um, Dave Elliott and Rob Bevan of The Back Pain Podcast. Hey, guys. Hello. How you doing? Hey, guys. I don't know where the bone came from, but just I told you I was tired before we started. I just saw I mean, we'll go with it. Are you okay with <laughs> it? Yeah. yeah you are, I'll take you it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. You Rob's like bone for tonight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I'll we'll take it. Down. Yeah. How are you both doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, pleasure to be here. You good. Um, so for people who haven't met you yet, some people have had the delight of listening to Rob back in June. Um, but obviously you're both. In fact, I think, Dave, wasn't it your idea originally? Well, that is not important whose idea it was, but was it kind of your concept to start off? Um, uh, it, it was, but what tends to happen is uh, Rob has the idea first, doesn't tell me. I think that um, uh, I think it's my own personal idea. And then he says, I've done the exact same thing, but better. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a no brainer uh, that we'd started together. Yeah. I see. I think I read, I'm not sure. I think it might even be on your website that, that, yeah, Rob was very excited when he said, how about we do this? And I was like, yes, fantastic. What a great idea. And it's going well. Yeah. It's going good. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, look, figures are stacking up the engagement, which is what this is all about. Of course, it's starting to get there. But I think the best thing is the feedback from, um, uh from patients from gen pop public out there and from practitioners as well that's something we didn't really anticipate actually it's a a, a, um, a patient facing podcast but the amount of love feedback and listeners we're getting from the practitioner community is incredible we love it fantastic i'm going to bring up those of you listening to the podcast then uh, you won't be able to see what i'm bringing up on the screen but i'm just going to bring this up so people watching the show via youtube or facebook can see there's the website um the back pain podcast just go to the backpainpodcast.com um and there's some great episodes on there um which again we've talked about this so many times on on and the sports Association podcast people crawling around on facebook what's the best cpd what cpd should i do what can i pay for please let me spend two thousand pounds on a course i'll never use <laughs> forget that for the moment there are good courses out there but you've got so much free cpd there um, and, the, and this is a great example of the Back Pain Podcast. Um, so many episodes there which you can listen to in your own time. And don't forget, I don't know what it works for other associations, but with the Sports Therapy Association, Gary is tired of saying that when it comes to handing in your CPD certificates, you can use all of this. Reference it and just say what you got out of it. And that's it. 
You know, you don't have to go and pay money. It's ridiculous. We're not in this for money, are we? If we wanted to make money, then we would have kind of concentrated a bit more and become physios. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> physios don't earn more anyway. But we would have gone into non-healthcare. Pretty much if you look after people, the more you look after them, then the less you learn. So we're doing this um, because we want to help people. Um, and we haven't got, un, um, you know, limitless money. So, yeah, look at the episodes here and and, and it'll be a great start for you. Um, I'm scrolling down when I put this tonight. I must admit, I haven't actually watched yet the Sex and Back Pain edition, but the title did for some reason just jump out to me. Um, weird, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, funny, that. <laughs> weird, that, isn't it? And I was thinking... Yeah. Almost like be? it was planned. <laughs> well, it was, it was weird because I was thinking, who are the guests? Who's he going to get to talk about that? Or something? It's just you two, isn't it? Talking about sex and back pain? Is that... Yeah, so that, that was... Uh, we, yes. we have a Facebook group and we have a lot of questions from um, Facebook groups and that comes up again and again and again. And that week we said, Any, ask us anything. And someone said, am I okay to have sex with sciatica? And we thought we'd t- answer the question on, on, on a podcast, amongst other questions. Mm. So we saved that question for the end um so you'll have to listen to all of it obviously but there's some really good uh good it's good, good questions it is bookmark. Bookmark, yeah. yes but obviously yes i mean it is a little bit clickbait but it's obviously a very important subject and we've touched on that with male sure. pelvic health and everything but um yeah great to see that in the um in the other episodes you've got there so there you go people make sure you go to the backpainpodcast.com and check out all the great episodes there but tonight very excited because you guys are gonna share some of your experience um in 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 yeah providing a few case studies for us aren't yeah. you that's the plan yeah that's the hope anyway absolutely yeah before I mean, we start uh, just uh oh, yeah, i think we we're talking well for weren't we the, the people you're going to use you've made some changes haven't you obviously in case anyone's having this bright idea i'm gonna do a facebook live tomorrow and talk about all my patients you've made some changes haven't you to protect their information hmm. yeah so what yeah, you just, just a few a few little a few little tweaks here and there, change a few ages and uh, genders and hobbies. And that's just nothing stands out as, oh, I was that, you know, gardener who saw that, <laughs> who saw Rob a few weeks ago. And now he's discussing my case. So we have, uh, yeah, just, just change things that would anything that was glaringly obvious just to protect some people's identity. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Take note of that, people, in case you are kind of making notes and thinking, that's a really good idea. I'm going to do that, obviously um client info is super important to keep that protected and not shared okay so um well it's over to you guys really ladies and gentlemen rob bevan and dave elliott how are we gonna do it so i think dave you can oh yeah i was gonna say should we kick off then i think you know what we did we tried to come up with four cases so we'll get through as many as we kind of can in, in the time you know we've got got an hour where we have basically learned from ourselves and these are cases which either you know, I don't want to say that we completely royally screwed things up, but in hindsight may have done things better or cases which really highlighted something that was important. So each case kind of has a rough theme to it. Um, so I think we'll kick off with the first question. And obviously, you know, Matt, you can jump in if, I, if you feel I've, you know, kind of not explained anything in case enough, uh, in the case enough, or, or anyone would like to go into any more detail, we can do that afterwards. But this first one, we'll talk about kind of quarter equina and the importance of safety netting. And you know, safety netting is something which I advocate really strongly for. And safety netting is the information which we give to patients during a consultation about actions that they can act on if their case is to change or if their story or if their presentation or if their pain is to change. So it's basically protecting that patient. So if anything does crop up at a later date or you know, something changes or symptoms change, then they know what to do about it. And if you don't, give that case, those that information out to a lot of patients and quarter is a really good example of that then you are negligent if you're not explaining you know the the, the seriousness of, of the condition so this is a mm-hmm. as an example who 
a patient I saw fairly early on. A lot of these are fairly early on as well, because that's obviously when you learn your most in your first couple of years of practice. Um, and he was a 25-year-old manual labourer. Uh, he came to see me and he had uh, kind of acute on chronic back pain. So what I mean by that is he had um, long-standing history of back pain, which he always put down just to, I'm a labourer, I work hard, I get back pain when I've done a lot of um, lifting, bending, carrying, and it's just a bit achy. This time it is a lot worse than normal. It didn't really come on for any particular reason, but he just kind of thought, oh, my back's a bit sore. And then it got worse and worse and worse. Never really kind of settled. Um, and I was talking about his back pain and it sounded like a very normal kind of back pain, um, you know, worse in the mornings, warmed up a little bit throughout the day. And then was really bad at the end of the day, depending on what he'd been doing. Um, aggravated in quite a lot of different positions. Extension was especially bad. Lateral flexion off to one side was especially bad. And he just started noting just some kind of aching pain down into his kind of buttock, into his kind of, I can't remember which leg it was, right or left leg, but one leg. Um, and he kind of said that hadn't happened before. So that was new. And I was talking about him as part of, you know, I do with all back pain patients, I will do a quarter equinus, a quarter equinus screen. And I think we're going to go over that afterwards as well, kind of the way I would do it. And I kind of said to him about, um, you know, obviously any, I asked him about any urinary symptoms and he said he had a history of bedwetting. Um, it's quite strange or quite rare in a 25 year old to kind of have a history of bedwetting. He said it's always when he drinks a lot um, and, and often happens and it's happened since when he, he said started drinking, started partying as a teenager. So it was always, it was a bit of a source of embarrassment. He really didn't want to talk about it too much. I kind of explained the importance of it. Um, and then we actually have a, what we call a disc sheet or a quarter equinus sheet, which is a sheet I give to all pretty much all low back pain patients and especially all ridiculous pain patients. Um, or Can I just a question, just a quick question, because I'm thinking yeah. what's on people's minds already. How, because we've kind of mentioned this before when you've got questions which potentially either the therapist or the patient client could feel embarrassed. Do you, mm. Is that something on a bit of paper you give them first of all so they can tick it, which opens the door? Or how do you kind of start that conversation? So I'll literally say, I'm going to ask you some questions now, which are quite embarrassing, but they're really important um, with regards to my examination. And, I, and would that be okay? Um, and I'm going to ask you about your, your, your sexual function, your bowel and bladder habits and any sensation changes in between your legs and kind of set the groundwork like that. And then that kind of opens the door as to, you know, what, where I'm going with it and explain the importance of it. Effectively. And are you doing that based on the symptoms he's already come and provided or is that something standard you do? I would do, I would do a standard screen on, on pretty much every low back pain patient that I see, or I say that every low back pain patient I see, any new onset of low back pain, I'll, I'll do a quarter of a um, I can do that now, or should I save that for the end? It's such a big thing, particularly for soft tissue therapists, because even kind mm. of on level three, on the intro kind of thing, there's, I mean, cancer and quadraquina and uh, deep vein thrombosis are like the three, and they're mentioned, but then they're kind of never gone back to. They're kind of just mentioned because it yeah. ticks the boxes for the syllabus. So it's really interesting to hear some actual um yeah more concrete information about what therapists should expect or check why don't i give uh why don't i run through you so if you're a patient then for me matt i'll run okay. through you in a way i've actually got a, you know i've got a script because i um uh, wanted to make sure i covered everything and i we have it on our online on our diary so we'll share with all of our clinicians and i got this from rob tyre who is a uh, specialist low back pain physiotherapist and we interviewed him about quadraquina on the podcast and so this is very similar to what, what he would say. And it was so good that I just kind of copied it been using it ever since. So I'd start by just saying, I've got some questions for you that are quite personal, but the reason I need to ask you these questions is because they tell me about the function of a lot of the nerves in your back. And these nerves control everything from your belly button down to your toes. 
Um, so my job is to find out whether those nerves are working properly or basically doing their job. So I'm going to be asking some questions about your bowel and bladder habits, your sexual function, um, any pain down the legs uh, and then any numbness or any uh, pain in around the genitals and kind of leave it at that. And w- would that be OK with you, Matt? Yeah, that's fine. So if I start kind of right off, since your back pain has started and that's the key. So since the back pain has started, has there been any change in your ability to have a week? And what I mean by that is, does it come out when it want, when you want it to come out? And does it stay in when you want it to stay in? Okay. And then if you'd said yes, I might say, okay, then we delve a little bit deeper. When did that start? How close did this start in relation to the back pain? Has this been a long-term issue? Have you had any history of urinary problems, bladder infections, no medication changes, all things which can affect urinary flow, pregnancy, um, difficulties in labor, all things like that, which can obviously affect kind of bowel and bladder habits. And then providing well, that's fine and move on to bowel. So similar line of questioning. Have you noticed any change in your ability to have a poo? Uh, any dis- any difficulty in keeping it in? Um, and I'm not talking about constipation. And that's quite a difficult thing because a lot of patients who see us, especially with back pain, will be taking opiates, which are known to kind of bung people up for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm talking about, uh, you know, inability to squeeze the muscles around the back passage equally, any incontinence, any urgency, you have to rush to the toilet. And then if that's fine, um, I'll move on to kind of sexual function and I'll give another caveat and just say, apologies, this is really personal. So I do apologize in advance, um, but this is a really important and really key bit of information. So the next question is, have you noticed any changes in your ability to get or maintain an erection? Um, and if you're a lady, have you noticed any difficulty with penetrative sex um, uh, and then or any difficulty in reaching climax? And that kind of broadly covers kind of sexual bias or sexual questions of a sexual nature. And then if they say yes, you can then go into the same similar line of question. Is this new? Have you spoken to your GP about it? Is it something that's started since the onset of back pain or has it changed recently? And the key is that changed. You know, if this has been going on for 20 years and they've had lots of investigations, then it's very different to if this started two weeks ago when they had an acute onset of lower back pain. And then as, as a younger therapist, because I mean, my goal is always that some people listen to this now thinking, oh, I really should be asking those questions. I've watched a couple of the pelvic health episodes with whoever it was, female or male. Um, and, and I'm still a little bit, oh, I just don't feel confident about asking them any tips on building up confidence or just because you obviously say them with such confidence that if I was your patient, that's what gives me confidence, knowing that you're not. If you were bashful, I'd be like, oh, God, he's weird, feeling mm. a bit weird. So I feel weird. So I don't think you I don't think you can. You, you don't wake up one day feeling confident and that goes for all confidence, whether that's asking awkward questions or just being confident in your ability to give a diagnosis. I think it's more just feigning confidence. It's, it's kind of an old adage. It's faking it till you make it. If you come across as Good confident, one. you are confident mm-hmm. and you're not faking it because you know the questions and you are perfectly confident enough to ask these questions. You know the implications of why you have to ask them. So you're not faking it, but you're faking the attitude of being confident. And I think that, you know, that's what, that's what I did and that's what I've done right from the beginning and then very quickly you don't you know it's a gradual process the next day you just kind of think oh and now it's not awkward anymore and if you start doing this with every low back pain patient and you do this for you know 5 10 15 20 patients a week within three patients you kind of over that really and the thought of asking these questions is worse than actually asking Brilliant. Great advice. And Catherine, just to answer you. Yeah, we'll make sure I mean we'll ask Rob Tyre because it's not Rob's but uh, we'll contact Rob and just say if it's okay if we can have a screening thing um yeah we'll yeah, see definitely. if we can put that in the uh, files or a version of it we will do yeah definitely. and then Thank the last one i move on to is uh change in sensation so this is the other one which is again quite difficult to not difficult to ask about in terms of awkwardness but difficult to explain what you mean by it so i'll say you know do you have you had any numbness kind of in around the saddle areas or in around your genitals just to start with 
and then kind of caveat that by saying what I mean by that. Have you noticed any change in, in sensation to these areas when you wipe, when you wash your genitals, when you wash the skin between your legs? Have you noticed any ability to change uh, to sense change in temperature of the skin? Uh, you know, if you sit in the bath, does the temperature feel the same in that area as other areas? You're giving little examples which they can then think about rather than just thinking, no, there's no sensation loss. If you give those examples, they might kind of twig and go, oh, yeah. Mm. And you do the same thing with pain. You say, does it hurt when you do this? And patients might not have thought about that until you've actually asked it. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of exactly the same thing. If they say yes, you can delve in a little bit more about is this change recently? Is this new? Has, has it, does it come and go? Has it been there since the onset of the back pain? You, you delve a little bit deeper into that. And then providing that's all good, and you know, you said no to all of that, it's all fine. They don't have any bilateral kind of sciatica as well. That's the, the last one there. I'll say, yeah, that's really, really good. You know, that's fantastic news. It tells me all those nerves are working fine. However, this can change. So if any of those symptoms do appear or change or anything that I've asked about, you notice in, it, in, you know, in the next coming days, weeks, months, I'd like you to see it as an emergency and seek out your local emergency care. And then I'll give them a disc sheet and say, this is just a recap of any of the symptoms. But this is very, very rare. It's one in 100,000 people with back pain. So realistically, I think Rob said, as he said to patients, you're just as likely to have it as I am. And I don't have any back pain right now. So it's a, a, quite a confidence booster for the end. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, and people like the fact that it's not serious. You know, if you once you've ruled that out and going, that's really good, that's positive then. And that's the importance of safety netting. And then that's springs nicely back to the case because I asked this guy all of these questions and he was all fine. Um, what's the point? There's another point about the case. Um, yeah, I, I think at that point I felt he was holding else something, so holding something a bit back, but I didn't push hard enough probably. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't probably safety net properly. I didn't give him a disc sheet, so I didn't do them at that point. Um, and luckily, I say luckily for him, he, I saw him say two o'clock in the afternoon. He rang the clinic just as I was walking out the door at about eight o'clock. And he said, hi, is Rob available? And I came on the phone to him. And he said, hi, um, you know those questions you asked me earlier about about having a wee and, and having sex? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I've got some of them. I remember, I remember him saying, I've got some of them. And I said, what do you mean? I've, you've got what? And he said, I've got all of them. And I was like, okay. And he said, yeah, he was, diff he was struggling to pass urine. He hadn't been able to get an erection for the last, I think, two or three days, he said. Um, and yeah, I think he had some numbness in his testicles was kind of all of that. And I kind of thought, oh, okay. And he decided not to tell me that in the appointment, decide, despite, despite the fact that I told him it was so important. Mm -hmm. Um, so I sent him to A&E and said, cool, I'd like to go to A&E. He wasn't overly happy about that, but because I'd asked him these questions before, he kind of twigged that it was important. Sent to A&E, he was admitted to A&E, had emergency MRI. Um, he did have kind of, I think what he described for himself as minor cord requiner. Not enough that he wanted to operate on it. He was watched for kind of 48 hours on a ward um, and they decided to leave it and watch it. And the symptoms all kind of came back. So they left him alone and he actually recovered fairly well. He did end up having a discectomy about four months uh, later. That was actually due to pain rather than uh, kind of any any urgency or core requiner. Had no long term symptoms, no issues and, and basically made a full recovery after that. Um, but it just highlights that importance of that safety net. And if I had just kind of said any bowel or bladder function, no, all good, fine then it, he wouldn't have really kind of thought about the importance of that. So I think that's okay. the real take home message from that case. So we say it's not very common, but it's got to happen to someone. And it's um, and that's a classic example. So, yeah, mm -hmm. the conversation go to A&E. Was that in the back of your mind? Be thinking, well, I don't want to freak the hell out of this guy, but I need to make sure that he goes now and doesn't yeah. kind of put it off. How did that go for you? Or was it because of the conversation you had with him, he realized when you said it 
do it now. Oh, it still does. Every time I have that conversation now, and that goes for whether it's, I think someone's got a fracture and I want to send them for imaging or with a stress mm. fracture or something which in the grand scheme of things is relatively minor compared to something like cord equina. Mm. I still have that conversation and, and I still have that thought of, oh, are they going to want the hassle of going to A&E? Um, and I think Kodokwan is quite different because you can, it's very easy to say, you know, this is so important because if we miss this, you could end up lifelong incontinent or mm. you could end up, you know, and that's the kind of the hit home. And you say, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that you sit in A&E for four hours and they decide there's nothing wrong with you and they send you home after clearing you. You know, that, I hope that. I don't hope, I don't want you to have this. I don't want you to go to A&E. Mm. However, if we miss it, it's vital. And that's uh, mm. I kind of go for that. Uh, and then that usually is enough. I don't know if Dave, you've done done similar with your patients. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things, even if you're you're just starting out on this therapy journey, if you're not super confident asking these questions, that's fine. They've still got to be asked. What Rob did there, even though he didn't push, he actually saved himself and that patient by pre-framing those questions with how important it was. So even if you stumble, if you're bashful, if you're shy getting through those questions, the most important and imperative fact is the reason I'm asking these is because of what they represent, because of the list of symptoms and the outcome that that would be. Um, this would mean you'd need to go to A&E. This would mean this um, uh, in the case of quarter equina. Because of that, because he didn't just ask the questions feverishly and, and then kind of uh, br- brush over them quickly, because he had explained how important they were, that kind of obviously sat with that chap. It marinated a bit enough to make him... Ad, not admit that's probably the wrong word but you know realize how important it was that it did come clean about those symptoms um so i think that's quite a an important part of it uh, no matter how you ask them and it'll get easier with time it's, it's like you know the first time you worked on a psoas how a bit you know, a bit churlishly it might have felt a bit odd um i think that uh eventually it just becomes so part of your routine or so part of your professionalism it's not a problem exactly the same with these as rob said ask it three times it won't be an issue for you at all as a quick note um in our practice um uh all low back pain radiculopathy cases have to be asked this every session it becomes so automatic so normal for us you sound all right gary morning mate okay big three questions let's go any change in urine any change in the bowel habit any change in sexual function no no, no, fantastic let's crack on it can become as normal as that once you've done the hard part in the beginning any low back pain radiculopathy we're asking that question so it just becomes that's like breathing it's just like the start of any other um, appointment but the patient realizes how important that is and that's um, a real key that's brilliant dave excellent i think for soft tissue therapists and again anyone who's listened to the other episodes we talked about this a bit there's quite a lot of imposter syndrome and, and soft tissue therapists are often too hard on themselves. They're often comparing themselves. We've talked so many times about this. Oh, yeah, I'm a soft tissue therapist, but I'm not a physio. Like, I'm down here, but I'm not. So I think potentially soft tissue therapists suffer more embarrassment or kind of insecurity about asking questions like this because inside they're thinking, well, if it does come out, am I going to be able to deal with it? Or is that going to make – but I think it's really important because, again, we've talked about masqueraders quite a lot um, with people um, like Jack March, we had for rheumatology. We had Bill Taylor and Gwania Donnelly and Emma Brockwell, I think, came on with pelvic health issues. And they've all commented the fact that one of the fantastic things that soft tissue therapists can do is know when to refer on, ask the right questions, have that confidence, because we may be the first people that they come to because they got some back pain, because they think, oh, what I need is a bit of a massage and a rub, that'll sort it out. So it's really vital 
probably more than any other profession that soft tissue therapists, although you're not going to get involved in terms of treating it, that you just try and stop these people from weighing seven years before getting diagnosed or in the case of something like called a queen or DVT or something, or, you know, something even worse. So, so yeah, it's all a big confidence thing. It's important. If anything, I'd say the fact that you're asking that question elevates you slightly, uh, you know, yeah. it, it actually brings some, some, or should hopefully when you next try it guys, uh, it should bring a little bit of confidence to your role. Cause you're thinking, Holy shit. I'm asking, Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Holy cow. Um, I'm asking consultant questions. Like this is important stuff. I'm, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to influence this person's life for the positive. If I do this properly, put my big boy pants on, let's ask these questions. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it will help. Again, we've talked about this a lot of how to um, help sports therapy and sports massage therapy get recognized more and be respected more by other health professionals. If we are asking these questions and recognizing our position in the chain and working as mm. part of a multidisciplinary thing, then that does elevate it as opposed to putting kind of cupping photos on Instagram and other stuff like that. Yeah. And that's that's what the skill is. And what we've said all the way through the podcast, the skill of any therapist or clinician is the safety factor. And that is what good training is. The good training is making people mm. safe. You know, when when we graduate as a, you know, whether that's a physio, osteo, chiro, sports therapist, sports massage therapist, whatever it is, that, you know, the goal of the examiner is making sure that you are safe to go out there and look at people. They're not, they're not looking at, you know, really, I mean, they might do to some extent, but they're not looking at how well you can, you know, do a, do a cupping procedure on someone. I mean, that's a small part of it, but people can do that brilliantly, but not be safe. The safety thing is the key is the key part and that's what separates clinicians and good clinicians from people that aren't that interested damn this should have been a two-hour show we're halfway through we've only done one <laughs> can we leave that there now and move on to another one uh maybe yeah, just squeeze another one in it's brilliant thank you guys okay, it's, it's so relative to us though that particular topic so thank you for that okay i'm trying to think if we're going to come I'm trying to think which one's most interesting okay let's go with one here we're talking about managing kind of patient's expectations and kind of poking into pain um with you know with the patient's rehab with the patient's recovery so i had um a person come and see me in 2018 acute onset uh lower back pain and ridiculous pain so similar to before back pain ridiculous pain um this is the first time that she'd ever had it never had kind of back pain or any issues before um exam findings were very normal with what someone would see as kind of a classic ridiculous pain uh you know pain with flexion bending forwards unable to sit uh, unable to drive a car um kind of aching tingling all the way down her legs uh what else is uh, relieved with extension relieved with lying down but she wasn't able to drive wasn't able to work and her main hobby was rowing um indoor rowing that was her kind of she'd bought a not recently but had kind of increased her rowing of indoors of recent note Exam findings were pretty normal. I said she was very aggravated to flexion, really didn't want to go there at all. Um, lateral flexion one way was pretty sore. Slumps kind of, uh, uh, slumps and SLR both kind of reproduced her ridiculous pain down her leg. Um, she, uh, I can't remember, I wrote around the case because I had to go back and look at this, couldn't remember the exact details. She, um, uh, she had some numbness kind of down the, the lateral aspect of her right leg. Um, and I think at that point she had no weakness. Yeah, no weakness or no loss of reflexes kind of on, on initial instinct i kind of you know told her i'd expect to see a decent improvement in six weeks however what i didn't mention was that this might get worse um and this might be a case where you know th this could get a lot worse i didn't say anything about she might need imaging she might need an injection she might go end up and end up having surgery at some point and i kind of didn't which is I, I had done before and i don't know why i didn't do it in this case but it was it was a key learning point really kind of spent it at home she 
responded well to kind of conservative management. We kind of changed the directional preferences. So she's doing kind of, you know, extension was relieving. So we did a lot of McKenzie stuff or McKenzie extension, whatever you want to call it. A lot of just kind of getting her out of that painful position just to not aggravate it. And that just calmed it down a lot. She has some good medication from the GP, uh, amitriptyline, which is very good for these kind of really, really bad kind of sciatica patients, especially if they can't sleep and the sleep's really bad, then often I'll get them to some, some nerve pain drugs from the GP. Um, and so she did some, yes, I said, some McKenzie surf, some some nerve glides or some slumps type sliders, all that, and made her pretty good. So about four weeks, she was about 50% of the way there. It was still very sore, but was quite a lot of the way better. She then went back to work at that point. So she took about three to four weeks off work, and it's about a 60-minute drive to work, and she instantly relapsed. So as soon as she went back to work, um, it got, I don't know how what she said, 10 times worse. You know, now she couldn't get out of the car. She was crawling around the house, you know, in agony, no core requiring or anything, nothing like that. On examination, she now had kind of weakness on some ankle dorsiflexion. So she's struggling with her heel walking and that kind of heel toe walking and she's weak. She said, oh, it's just a bit, you know, wearing heavy shoes feels a bit harder to walk. Not complete kind of paralysis, but just it was challenging. And then some general leg weakness. It was giving way a bit when she was walking. She felt like the leg wasn't quite as strong. Um, so monitoring that and the change in that, I sent her for an MRI. Um, she'd felt that she had done something wrong. So she felt that she had made it worse herself by going back to work and she was very fearful of doing that. And she wasn't really happy with herself, which was, I think, a key part of this case that she was so upset with. She was angry that she, she wasn't better. So MRI came back completely clear. Um, no sign of any issues, um, you know, for a 20, 24, 25, 26 year old, however she was at the beginning. She was, I said, as expected for age. No, no, nothing out of the ordinary at all. But it, importantly, no nerve compression, no, yeah, no disc bulges, no big disc prolapses, which is kind of what we're expecting, which were, which was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, I spoke to a local orthopod who we've got, who have got quite a close relationship with, and he kind of said, well, there's not a surgical target, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't operate on this, but I'd consider an injection um, if she doesn't just kind of a lumbar epidural, just really a general injection, just kind of aiming at the nerve root, kind of you know the L4 does dorsiflexion. I think you'd probably aim around that that point, but I'm not exactly sure which, what, how he decided that, but I assume it, that would be the case. Um, and so he, after about four months of kind of struggling on this lady, decided to have an injection. She paid privately to do it. This was kind of end 2018, kind of start of COVID, that sort of time. She paid for it to be done privately and had pretty much instant relief from a general lumbar epidural. Um, and so she had about 12 months of what she described as really good relief. She still had pain, but she had some good relief overall compared to what she was. Um, but the issue was that she really wanted to get back to rowing. And that was, as I said, that was her key thing. She had a concept two row at home that she hadn't sat on for you know four to six months, something. Every time she pretty much sat on the row and reached for the handle, it would send electric shocks down her leg. And that was kind of her, the key. She really wanted to get back to it. So I thought we'd talk about how we got her back to rowing and kind of how that, you know, how I did that to kind of get her back on the rower. Um, the first part was kind of helping her understand her MRI because she was, as most patients are, when they come to see you with, with a back pain, you've sent them for MRI, they almost want to see something and they want to look at it and go, I want to see a big fat disc bulge that shows the reason I've got all this pain. I'm not making it up. And so they'll kind of talk about that and expect to see something. So then when, when there isn't something, it can be quite hard to get their head around. And they kind of think that I think they're making up the pain when obviously they're not, you know, no one ever is making up pain, it's pain is subjective. So the key part of that was turning the MRI into a positive and saying, actually the MRI is normal, 
your spine is safe. You know, you're not doing any damage when you're rowing. You're not doing any damage when you're when you're driving. This there's nothing wrong here that you've done. You haven't caused this. You know, you're perfectly safe. It's just sore. You know, and that safe but sore is a really good message which I use with a, with a lot of patients. So it was about kind of getting her to start doing some of these movements in different positions. So the first part I do, and I do this with a lot of low back pain patients, is to get them to keep a pain diary. And it's just a simple diary on a notes app on their phone with just the date, their kind of pain scores throughout the day. So that could just be an overall, how was the day? It could be a morning pain and an evening pain. It could be a night pain. And then what did they do the day before and the day after? So they're looking for the diary. As a therapist, you can go back and say, okay, so every day was a four, except this day when he had an eight. What did you do the day before? Oh, actually, I oh, I did do a really long drive. I did oh, I did do a rowing session. I went for a cycle. What would it be? And then that can kind of pin, or nail home what some of the aggravating factors are. When if they don't always hurt at the time, it can be quite hard to kind of work out which ones are bad and which ones are good. So she tracked her symptoms and her activity levels, and she was really good at this. She brought in basically an Excel spreadsheet every every time I saw her. And it was, she counted the steps that she had done. She'd counted pain levels, morning, lunchtime, evening, what pain could she taken? The activity was brilliant, really, really good. And it's really easy to then see, oh, okay, you do more than 8,000 steps and your pain's really bad, you know, or, or when you do this. So we could kind of track that. And then- I was going to say, oh, sorry, just to jump in, but was there a correlation? Because I've heard uh, you've probably come across as well. Some people are well into their kind of pain science and stuff will say that for some individuals, the idea of a pain diary is really counterintuitive and they're focusing mm. on the whole time and counting their pain. Yeah. But in this case, and it probably depends on the individual, but was there a correlation? Because we've just had that paper coming out. I can't remember who did it now saying that there's no relationship or suggest there's less relationship as we imagine between load and pain, like yeah. overloading. But in this case, was there? Did it all click very, together? Very much so. Um, nice. And this That's is kind of, like. yeah, it's, kind of, it's one of those cases where you could see when she drove, when she walked, I think it was 8,000 steps, you could pretty much see her pain go from kind of a four to a six or a seven, okay. you know, the day after. But I spun that as a positive and I can see that as kind of the, the negative side of it, as focusing on that. But then also I'd say, okay, so you do over 8,000 steps and it hurts. But when you do 7,000, it's fine. So what happens if we do 7,000, have a coffee and then do another 3,000 steps? Oh, actually, that's a lot better. So can we can we cheat that and can we kind of, wangle that so we're not aggravating it completely you know rowing as i said was the key thing and she wanted to get back to rowing so how can we recreate the rowing without actually sitting here on a concept too so we did things like you know supine pelvic tilts you know getting her just to kind of flex extend that lumbar spine some seated kind of roll downs just sitting on the chair slumps uh, nerve glides kind of double leg ones you know sitting out sitting out front just dropping her head down just slowly yeah. poking the bear and some people we really really temperamental with this and you'll find that you know, giving, you know, one nerve glide can really flare up their pain. And then you have to then go back to the drawing board and try, try something different. Some people can do a lot of that, but they can't bend forward. So it's about finding different ways to do movements, which the patient wants to do, and then trying to incorporate that into, into a into routine. So after a while, we kind of did some seated deadlifts and did some seated kind of kettlebell deadlifts. And she can do that. She still couldn't really row. Um, then after a while, she could sit on the row and she could reach for the handle. As so we said, okay, what happens if we row without your legs or row without the bad legs? So we put the left leg in the rower and kept the right leg on the floor. And she can then row. And then after a while, it did start to hurt. So we said, okay, so 15 minutes of rowing is too much. Let's go down to 12 minutes at less intensity and see what that does. Okay, that's fine. Okay. And then we slowly just started to creep that up again. And now kind of... Was there... So I'm going to jump in again because... yeah. Was there in her case any fear avoidance or anything? Was she, was she wary of kind of 
crossing certain yeah. boundaries, thinking it was going to f- flare it up. Yeah, because I think because she felt that by returning to work early and doing long drives, she had caused the flare okay. up. Yeah. Um, then that she was worried that she was going to do it again. And you can have this conversation again and again and again and again, that you're safe. You're not going to cause any any damage by doing this. It's just going to flare. The worst, it's easy to say, the worst thing that's going to happen is it's going to be really painful. But you're not going to, you know, other patients will say, I'm worried I'm going to paralyze myself. I'm worried, you know, those type of, and that's a, coming from a really horrible place to be in. So I really cool. feel sorry for these patients who believe that. Um, and it's really hard conversations to have um, that you're safe. And it's okay to poke the bear. And I use that phrase a lot. You know, if we never do this movement again, you're never going to be able to do this movement again. You know, if you completely avoid it, it's always going to hurt when you then try and do it. So getting back to doing it is vital as a part of the recovery. Now, it's not always going to be comfortable. And there are going to be times when it when it flares it up. And that goes back to the beginning about what I said, what I didn't say to this lady was sometimes these cases get worse. And Mm. sometimes, you know, I'll send people for injections, MRI scans. Sometimes, you know, wake up one day and your pain will be 10 out of 10 and you have no reason why. You know, it's rare, but this can, this can happen. And we spoke with a lady on the podcast who had had sciatica, I think, for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And she said throughout the whole time, no one has said to her that there's a chance that this might take 25 years to get better. Mm-hmm. So she was going from doctor to doctor to therapist to therapist the whole way through. Everyone had the solution, but no one actually said to her, this might not work. So she was kind of surfing this, high of oh this guy's amazing this this girl's amazing at doing you know, the, the problems in my left ankle the problem is my core the problem is my posture and she jumped from all of these things over basically every kind of you know brand new thing that's come out over the last 25 years she's done it and no one ever spoke to her about it's fascinating about isn't it because we try to encourage younger therapists to make sure that everybody who leaves the clinic feels more confident in their body and super robust and not make them leave with any fear of fragility in that mm. But the pendulum can swing too far the other way, isn't it? Because we make them leave on too too secure and not make them, like you say, realise, look, don't be surprised if, you know, your recovery is not going to be linear. There could be some bad days, good days. And if so, you've got to kind of manage that. So uh, it's such a thin line, isn't it? That's it. We've got to tread that sort of balance between positivity, empowerment, anti, uh, anti-fragility, but also not go to blind faith and mm-hmm. sort of over-promising. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to tell everyone who walks in the door, by the way, it might take 25 years because they might not come back, I'll be honest. But you can, you, can, like, um, like I said, you can certainly say, by the way, this is, you know, pain is not a linear thing. This might take some time. Um, so I think we've got to be careful, even when we've seen this case a hundred times before, I'm 100% confident I'm going to get you sorted. We can create some positivity. Um, but actually what we're doing there is we're assuming, you know, we, we've got to have that backup of this may take longer. It could get worse before it gets better. We've got to think about pain as a macro process, not as a micro hour to hour and day to day. Um, one thing Rob mentioned there that I'm going to uh, just mention, because I love this actually, um, the use of a pain diary, it goes both ways. So we think about the pain diary, and, you know, uh, Matt, you mentioned about people hyper-focusing on pain or, or it becoming... Um, um uh, sort of all consuming so it's all we ever think about i love a pain diary for the opposite way so i love a pain diary to look back and see what was painful but isn't painful now what you'll often find is that your patients forget about actually their pain is decreased they're naturally able to complete more exercise or um uh, pick up the grandkids more we always use that one because uh, uh, you know it's such a common one um they can walk further but because pain is present today 
we think, well, I'm still an eight out of 10. Um, and then we can say, well, no, actually, look, you win. Um, you know, you did your single leg rowing today. Yeah, you're not rowing full stop, um, but you are better than you were. Let's look back in your pain diary. Sometimes if you just say off the cuff, but remember, you were 10 out of 10. You know, you came to me and you weren't able to get out of the car. Sometimes they'll say, no, that's not me. Um, we literally forget pain. And thank goodness, remember if we rem- remembered pain, uh, I mean, no one would ever have two kids, that's for sure. Um, uh, we do forget pain and it becomes normalized, but because we're experiencing pain today, we think we're still at that top level. So I love a pain diary, yes, to modulate and to change what we're doing today in accordance to how we're feeling, but also to look back positively and say, look how far you've come. And one last thing, Matt, before, Rob mentioned their steps. Now, this lady wanted to row Rowing was not a possibility, but Rob broke down rowing into such micro steps. We don't eat an elephant all at once. He did chair deadlifts, or sorry, seated deadlifts, um, one leg rowing, two leg rowing, rowing straight leg. I mean, when we think of a deadlift, for instance, that's sort of an activity. You either can or you can't. No, there's so many variations within that. Think about how you can break down that activity. Is it cycling or rowing or uh, walking out in the park? That's literally a one step at a time practice. So what saved that woman is the, the breakdown into micro tasks that could create a win and create a small positivity, despite the fact that she was locked in that macro cycle of still being in pain. Um, so, you know, to, to think out there, okay, this person can't run. Can they put their trainers on though? Can they walk around the block? You know, it literally does start with that. How can you break down that pastime, that favorite thing, that thing they're hanging on to? Doesn't have to be a straight bungee jump. You know, you can start by doing something smaller. Uh, actually, bungee jump is a horrific answer or <laughs> uh, example. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, if you're a swimmer, say, you don't have to do a length. Get in the pool, go width ways and walk with the current, uh, uh, the current, walk against the, um, uh, what's the opposite of current? The resistance of the water. Get your trunks on, go and do a paddle. It can start as simply as that. The more you break it down, the easier those trunks will become, the more those people will um, thank you in the long run. That's me. Uh, amazing. No, brilliant. It's so good. And the other thing I like about that, which you're both demonstrating, is sometimes when soft, soft tissue therapists, typically they'll do their course, which if it's very traditional it'll focus all on manual therapy and then they realize they need some kind of some kind of exercise prescription strength and conditioning that sort of stuff bolted on and very often that can lead them down a false avenue of special exercises and kind of trying to be in a particular position the whole neutral spine and kind of where you've just shown that there's no you can just invent your own exercises just take a movement and break it down in individual components and you don't even have to call them exercises just call them movements just break it down yeah. and you don't need to pay two thousand pounds to a specialist to learn how to do this you just need to see someone who basically says what you guys have said just break it down anyone can do that you just analyze the movement just break it down even you said just the just the neck flexion like something like that if she is rowing and doing that that's an integral little part yeah. of it um no fantastic amazing awesome um, <laughs> And that sort of link to what that person loves as well. Remember that part, because if you're giving her, you know, neck flexions or if we're doing a, a seated dead, um, well, what's the point in that? Because I'm not a deadlifter. I don't want to be a power lifter. But when we call them, like you said, we're calling them rowing chins Brilliant. or we're calling them baby picker uppers. You feel that as the thing you want to do. You can see your um, your pathway, if you like, to where you're going to end up. Yeah. Really good. 
you know what's interesting is when this bunch here watching now between us, when it goes quiet and no one asks any questions, it's because they're really concentrating on what you're saying. <laughs> Literally, they're there, little pads and biros, just writing stuff down. I haven't heard from Catherine or Rob, or they're all just jotting stuff down. You can't ask questions. Well, what's really cool? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we've not talked about one therapy. We've not talked about thumbs. We've not talked about a technique. This, this is all yeah, yeah, yeah. patient management. You know, we're not talking techniques here. Look, we all press the flesh. Doesn't matter if you're a chiro, physio, sports therapist. But this, this is everything extraneous off the bench, next to the bench. You know, this is um, uh, where you go from a, a, a therapist to like a clinician to a uh, to a skill to an art to a practice. This is the the really cool stuff, not dependent on your technique or your class or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. What I really like as well, because we're not, I don't know, it depends. I really, I wanted to comment way back to the. Um, I can't remember if it was this case study one before, but the fact that when the person came back, it sounded like it was through the subjective that, for example, you found out that she was having problem. I think she used the expression heavy shoes or something. She was having problem dorsiflexing. Mm. And that, again, kind of builds on what we've seen time and time again in these episodes, that when that person comes back, you don't lie them down the cage and prod and pull and twist and try and find something that causes pain. You just talk to them and say, right, what's happening? And then the old thing of like, ask them enough questions, yeah. they'll tell you how to fix them kind of thing. And that was perfect. Because how do you tell someone is having problems lifting their foot if you don't actually ask them? You could you, you lie them down on the couch and push their foot back and their dorsal flex fine, but it's the actual action. So yeah. bravo. And I hope that kind of rings some bells for people who are listening. The subjective, the subjective, um, really important, really important. Huge part of it, huge part of it. Right, should we, should we got time for one more? Oh, I've got to say yes, I can't say no. Yeah, speed okay. round. Speed round. Okay, how about no, no breathing, Rob? Go. The quickest one. The, okay, someone I made worse. How's that? Um, okay, so this was I think my first week of practice. So graduated is what 2011 or something like that as well. And a guy came to see me, a uh, 50 year old male, and he was your typical bravado, brash bloke that thought he knew everything about everything. And you know, I just need this. It's fine. And he came in with an acute flare-up of low back pain. This had happened numerous times before. He's used to it happening once a year. He bent down to pick something up. His back had gone. And he said, oh, it always happens. I see my other chiropractor down the road. Um, I think had retired, or I can't remember why. But either, I'm not sure why he came to see me. But either way, I usually see my chiropractor. He realigns it, and I'm all good to go. You know? And I'm there, like, my first week thinking, brilliant. This guy's seen a chiropractor for 30 years. And, you know, and <laughs> this is my first week. I didn't tell him it was my first week, but... It's probably quite obvious for my fresh, fresh face. Um, and he came in, he was pretty acute. He had quite a lot of untowed off to one side. You know, he was in a lot of pain. Oh, I just need this, mate. And this is when I worked in Essex. You know, Dave will remember, you know, what the uh, oh, lovely people in Essex as well. So he's really nice. The n- nicest guy you'd ever meet, but very affirmative about what, what he thought he needed. And uh, he said, I just, need, I just need a crack and I'll be all good to go. Um, and I was kind of thinking, oh, this is probably not something I would have normally done. Like, he's pretty acute. He's in a lot of pain. Um, I don't really want to manipulate you. Oh, go on, mate. I'll be fine. It usually hurts a bit, but it's so much better afterwards. And I and I manipulated him. Like, as obviously, through history and exam, it was safe to do so. It wasn't something I didn't think he had a fracture or anything like that. You know, but uh, so in my opinion, it was safe to do so at the time. Um, and he went, oh, and I remember him groaning and being like, oh, God, that's a lot. That's really painful. And he kind of hobbled off the bench a bit. And I'm thinking, oh crap what have I done you know was this a bad idea and he's like no it's always it's always it's always bad doc after 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 it gets done like you know that's something and uh 
and he kind of like, hobbled out of the clinic and he paid. And uh, and I think the following morning we came in, opened up the clinic, and there was a voicemail, I think from his wife, being like, you know, Mr. Smith is so bad. You know, I don't know what, you know, what have you done to him? He couldn't get out of the car when he came home last night. He's now got radiate, radiating leg pain all down his leg. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, for God's sake, like, I didn't want to do this. And this guy, you know, in my opinion, pressurized me to do this. And I was so junior, I didn't really know how to say no. And it's kind of the lesson there was about how sticking to your guns when, you know, if you don't think that something is, is appropriate or it's not what you want to do, it's far better off to displease someone than to make them worse because they're going to be displeased out of that outcome anyway. Um, and he was lucky that he didn't blame me. And I saw him, I saw him that day or the week after whatever. I remember him saying, oh yeah, he said, you were right. <laughs> or something like that. He was like, I probably didn't need that. Or, and he was very, yeah, he could have been a lot worse. Be like, you know, what did he, have, did he do to me? He wasn't like that. Um, he was, uh, I was lucky, but it was a good lesson in just, yeah, not just pandering to what people think they need or just because you've got the title of a chiropractor means you have to crack everyone or soft tissue therapists mean everyone needs a really deep massage, you know, it's, it's, it's nonsense. Um, so pandering someone can make people a lot worse. And since then, I've pretty much never done, you know, what someone t- told me to. I might meet people in the middle and I might, you know, kind of chat about what they want and why do they want that. And then if it's appropriate, we might have that discussion just to help kind of get them on your side a bit. And it opens the door up to another conversation. But, you know, not just being, if you really don't want to do something, not uh, <laughs> not just pandering to what someone wants. Great message. Mm. Dave, have you experienced anything similar? Yeah, too. Um, I also had a, a big Essex Hulk of a man come in fresh. Jim Fresh, he was. Um, uh, another hello, mate. I've done this in the gym. Um, he was a he was a he was a unit. He was a proper weapon. Um, and um, sort of got the couch, and I said, "Nah, this isn't this isn't um, going to happen today." And he and he said, "You know, um, uh, oh my my other guy, he adjusts me, um, but he couldn't get me in today. So you know, just just give me that click. You know, give give me the um, give me the good stuff, doc." And um, uh, this is actually a, a win. So haha, Rob. Um, I ended up bringing in the phone. I said, "Well, look, phone your other guy." Um, and it was a bit of like haha. I was like, "No, phone your other guy. I'm I'm not seeing you today." We had to. Um, I think his missus came and picked him up and squeezed him into a mini. Uh, but he was not happy. Um, <laughs> and like really, really not happy. Um, uh, I was glad he was incapacitated because he would have eaten me. Um, but I mean, so many times people have come in and said, "Yeah, but my other, you know, the other guy, or, or um, I, I, you know, I want this." And you've just got to put your foot down. And, and I'm just as guilty as Rob, especially in the early days. And, it's hard to have that authority to say no um uh you know this this isn't right for you if someone else thinks it is that's fine but for me today this is what i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna do and and like rob said it's not always about just a hard no um but you don't have to sort them all out the door but to say well this is why i'm going to suggest another course of action if you came and saw me you've never seen anyone before i'm going to suggest this this and this this is why we do that these are the danger points and why i'm not going to do it it's not just because i want to disagree with you today by the time you've explained what you would do and why you would do it they've normally calmed down enough to see a bit of reason and when they see that you've got that extra bit of knowledge this is why it's not just because i don't want to do that and what they might be thinking is they don't know how to do that as well once you've explained why you do what you do how that helps and why that's the best course of action in your opinion there's only i suppose there's two ways you know there's there's your way or the highway at that point but I would suggest that once you've explained, not just no, I'm not going to do it, but also then why I'm going to do this other thing, I think most people will see a reason. 
It's great. Mm. No, it's, 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 I'm just wondering whether guys in your profession, so I mean, people, people, we did actually say at the beginning that you're both chiropractors, um, mm. and people might find that surprising because soft tissue therapists are probably as guilty as anyone having kind of a negative connotation with chiropractors thinking that's all you guys do. But does it happen more to you? Do you get the brunt of that where people think you're a chiropractor, they're going to click me, put me back to shape, realign me? I suppose you see quite a lot of that, do you? Yeah, definitely. And I think that yeah. it depends on how you practice. Um, I think that I kind of work by the adage that, you know, people come and see you because of what you do or not who you are. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think, you know, Dave and I have worked in the same as in not in the same as each other, but that we've worked in one place of our own clinics for, you know, seven, eight, nine years or so. So we've had our own places and you'll build up your reputation for what you do. And, you know, mm-hmm. people come and see both of us and say, oh, you're like no chiropractor I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of and then people come and see you because go and see Rob. He's the guy that helped me with my hip or my knee or my back, you know, rather than, oh, you need a chiropractor for that. And especially if you're in like a smaller town, you, that's how you build the, the reputation. And and that mm. becomes famous. You become more famous for that. I say famous, you know what I mean? More known for that. You're famous. Yeah. You've got your yeah, own website oh, developers. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, so but do you find that sometimes in the early days, did the, did the title kind of hinder you? Because sports therapists are very familiar with that. You're thinking all the people are not seeing because I think I need to see sports people. But in the beginning, did you think I'm not, I can help a lot more people, just the people who think they need a click. I can help so many more. And if so, how did you deal with that? Did you have to have business cards and kind of expand what you do or? Or did you just use the word chiropractor and then just let your fame grow? Trickle down. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one. I, I think um, we always call sort of chiropractic the, the best kept secret in back pain. But I think that's, to be honest, the the truth for everyone. Like you said, with sports therapists, well, you're just for sports people, right? And then mm. it, it sort of builds from there. So obviously, look, there's the, the marketing side and getting on Facebooks and lives. And in the old days, back when we were allowed outside the house, it was going... Um, going to events, going to um, uh, races, triathlons, uh, powerlifting meets, you know, plying the trade there, um, supporting, advertising and letting people know. But the biggest thing I think is letting those people that you see. So let's do some free marketing here, guys. You're welcome. Um, Don't go on Google and pay loads of money. The person that you're seeing on the bench, let them know you're not just for sports people. Let them know Mm -hmm. that, you know, I also see elbows and desk workers and uh, and people who, I don't know, gardeners. Um, uh, that's, you know, that's your captive audience, right? That, that person's got friends, loved ones that garden or, or work in offices. It doesn't have to be, um, uh, you know, brand new patients all the time. Um, let them do the work for you. Fantastic. Great advice there. Right. Well, look, it's nine o'clock. Um, so we've had to, oh, we did three. It wasn't bad. And they were all yeah, they were. Um, very, yeah. very, yeah. So great messages and very applicable. Hopefully people listening to the podcast as well. Um, make sure that you do well, it's, you're normally pretty good but make sure you leave some comments either on apple or, or email us directly if you like matt at the sta.co.uk but yeah i love the way it's applicable to all health professions it just doesn't have to be a chiropractor because and you know what funnily enough what a surprise it's because we're all dealing with people you know all these special things and how we yeah exactly it's people in pain so mm. it's kind of whatever we're doing to them we still got to have the same consideration so brilliant mm. um i've got one question i wanted to ask you because you are the back pain podcast people obviously is there something, I mean, we haven't got a knee pain podcast or an ankle pain podcast. Is that because do you think um, back pain is more serious because the back can go wrong more quickly? Or do you think it's because people, it's part of this, people have got more fear because of basic misconceptions over the back? Fear, second one, I think. Yeah, mm. yeah number two. Yeah, I think <laughs> number two, people please. think, yeah. I think it's got such, back pain is such a bad rep. You know, you, you 
you do occasionally, but it's very, you know, people don't say the same things about their knee that they do their back. You know, people come in, you wouldn't have someone with an ankle sprain and go, oh, you know, once your ankle's gone, you know, yeah. you're never going to have an ankle again. Whereas it's quite common that people come in and go, oh, yeah, my mum had back pain. She always had back pain for her whole life. Or, yeah, or once yeah. once your back's weak, you've always got a weak, weakness there. You know, and those are quite normal phrases in our in our lexicon. So kind of, you know, getting rid of those. And I, th- so I think a lot of it's misconceptions. It's mm-hmm. Daily Mail headlines and it's that type of thing. So that's why we pick that. But also it's the most common. It's the most mm-hmm. common MSK complaint. It's the most common reason for time off work. It's, you know, 80% of the population will have, you know, severe back pain at one point in their lives. Not that many people have knee pain or ankle pain or hip pain. So the prevalence is up there as well. Um, and, you know, people like to complain about their back. So we thought we'd dedicate an entire show to it. Basically. <laughs> no, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because the prevalence is there. I mean, I don't want to say everybody with back pain is kind of miss, um, kind of barking up the wrong tree. But a lot of that prevalence in the epidemic of back pain is because of fear and kind of misconceptions isn't it and the fact oh i mustn't do that fear avoidance it's it's massive i've always thought because you can't see your back that's a factor it's like you can't see it and you get more worried about it i don't know whether that's yeah. you know whereas other 100%. things you look in the mirror you know i think that's part of it as well and the fear of being yeah, in a wheelchair and all these things it's just yeah but in other words in a way the back pain podcast when i listen to episodes again it can be applied to anything around the body you're kind of picking a yeah it's almost like you're saying oh yeah, we need to focus on the back because it's a different part of the body and you need to listen to this. But everything you say and talk about could be applied to any part of the body, you know, at the end of the day. So For sure. I hope people yeah. appreciate that when they, uh, when they look, uh, listen to you. Right gang. That's, that's uh, that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. I can't wait. To, um, I'm in the room. You can speak again, breathe again now, Becky, you can breathe. There you go. Put your pen down now, please. People in the examination <laughs> room, put your pens down. Uh, wicked guys. Thank you so much. Um, it'd be, um, yeah, I'm really interested what the other case history was, but maybe we can do it another time or something. I think this could work Happy really to. nicely. But you set the benchmark very high here now. Um, it's, uh, yeah, those are the most yeah. interesting ones. So, I don't know uh, who's going to follow that. All our good ones up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll focus on giving some really bad treatment over the next couple of weeks to build <laughs> yeah, up a few more. Get some lawsuits going that we can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. What have you uh, What have you got coming up? Um, are you getting out? Of, do you, do you kind of guys travel around at all or are you just clinic based in the podcast did you get out about do people get to see you and hear about you and watch your shows oh, oh yeah. what have we got coming up what have we got coming up yeah. um, well, um mainly through the podcast we've got some amazing guests coming up in the next few weeks we're hosting the the debate between adam meekins and mark laslett about um oh is that happening uh, i missed that uh, on social media that, okay that, that's happening um so that's coming up uh oh, yeah, I did month, see that November, something like that. yeah you've, you've, you so, invited yourself to host that didn't you i think i saw that no Mehmet jam invited us actually. oh was he, it he okay and we logged on to twitter one morning and someone said oh the back pain podcast would be perfect and everyone yeah. else jumped on and said yeah let's make it happen and then we logged on and was kind mm. of like oh we don't really have a choice now because so mark we... was very clear he wanted somebody who was going to be like not connected at all and kind of fair and yeah yeah okay oh good so good so, we're, so we're hosting that talk about Adam, adam's back pain and just some, some other just really good guests coming up really talking about we had some two really fascinating episodes in the next two weeks both with this week's coming up actually is with a uh patient with sciatica and his osteopath Dr. Oliver Thompson, who's a fantastic osteopath down in London. And this guy was led from pillar to post with all sorts of nonsense beliefs. And then he saw Oliver and we have both of them coming on, talk about their story, about how they kind of work together and turn around back pain. Um, and then we have a chiropractor from America, a guy called Jacob Harden, who um, talking about his experience with sciatica over the last kind of six months and what he did as a chiropractor, did it change his treatment of it? So yes, yeah, so we've got some really interesting episodes coming up. 
Um, we're working on our website. We have the provider network as well on there. So we have a list of therapists for anyone who has back pain can go on there and find someone who's kind of tried and trusted. So if there are any therapists, if you want to be listed, drop us a message. We'll send you an application. We just kind of make sure that everyone there is, you know, aligned with our message about which is all the things that we've been uh, promoting today on this Brilliant. podcast. Um, if you listen to the podcast, I'm just putting up um, the address in the website there as well. So it's thebackpainpodcast.com. And like I say, you've got a direct link there to listen to each episode if you want to. And also it's worth mentioning again, I think I did last time, just the blog. Again, CPD, if you like reading as opposed to listening, there's some fantastic articles on there. You can't see the screen if you listen to the podcast, but there's one there, Fear Avoidance and Graded Exposure, which is essentially what we're talking about with the rower um, tonight uh, for back pain. And there's also Let's Make Patients Anti-Fragile, Not Just Resilient. Um, which is a great read as well and then that's all at the backpainpodcast.com right um dave rob thank you so much it was amazing no worries thank you we'll we'll be back next week people with um i know it's not gonna be with luke is it it's a shame luke's still sorting out internet in ireland it'll be with somebody I can't promise there'll be... He doesn't, have broadband. he doesn't have broadband over in Ireland, does <laughs> Luke? So. He's trying to sort it out. He's trying to start a company up, I think, for providing internet in, in the country, yeah. the motherland. But anyway, yeah, we'll be back next week at the same time, 8 o'clock um, on the Tuesday. So do join us then. Uh, but on behalf of Rob and Dave from the Back Pain Podcast tonight, um, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Take care. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.